A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, I'm Victoria Meyer, host of The Chemical Show. This week, I'm delighted to have with me Ron Zmick from Palmer Holland. He's the VP of Case at Palmer Holland, which is a American specialty chemical distributor. Ron's been in the industry for 25 years, um, and we're going to have a great conversation today about distribution, chemicals, and all the things that go with it. So, Ron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Victoria. Appreciate the invitation. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun today. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Absolutely. Well, Ron, let's start a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about, about Palmer Holland. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, we're, we're a North American chemical distributor. We're based in Cleveland, Ohio. We've been around since 1925, uh, founded uh, you know, in Cleveland. Specialty chemicals and, and fine ingredients are our focus. We sell into five major market segments, so we're aligned with five businesses. You mentioned Case, the business in which I work. We have a plastics business, a lubricants business, a health and nutrition business, and an agriculture business. I would say one last thing. I mean, Naturally, you know, we're, we are a conventional distributor. Logistics are core competency, but I, uh, we like to say that we're as much a, a sales and marketing organization as we are a, uh, a logistics provider. That's awesome. In fact, that's, uh, that actually leads me very well into my next question, which is, you know, what's really the role of distribution in the chemical industry, right? So it plays a big role. And yet I think sometimes people don't fully understand how it fits. So how would you describe that? Yeah, it's in a couple of ways. I think in the most general sense, you know, we bring, you know, the manufacturer, we would call them principals, the manufacturing sector and the, and the consumer sector or, or customers together across a segment of the market that otherwise might be difficult to, to, to make that connection because of, you know, resources on, on either side of us and, and then their reach. Um, so we, we get to a, a segment, fairly large segment of the market on, on our principals behalf. Again, that they they ordinarily wouldn't wouldn't be able to get there with their own direct sales staff. You know, we, we serve as a you know what I'll call a, a spring in the supply chain as well. So uh, both from just a pure product logistics perspective, and even you know maybe from a, a financial or a, a terms perspective, I think companies in our in our space can be a little more flexible, a little more nimble, and offer some some services to the market that that maybe the manufacturers can't offer on a direct basis. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that having channel partners such as Palmer Holland tends to feature pretty heavily in chemical producers' go-to-market strategies, right? So obviously they see that you you solve some different issues. So what do you, you know, why do customers come to you and why do your producers come to you to what problems are you solving or how are you fitting into that landscape? Yeah, great, great question. So yeah, I'll, I'll take that in, in two parts as you, you put forth. You know, on the on the principal side, the supplier side, again, as I mentioned, we first and foremost, we we reach a segment of the market that that they're not able to get to. Um, so and with that comes visibility. So, you know, they're operating with these large global companies in our space or any space for that matter. And they're certainly getting that view of the market. But I think we bring 
uh, additional views, uh, some that augment and some that are different. Uh, we get into some niche segments that perhaps they don't get into. So, so market visibility, market reach, for sure, because of the types of accounts we call on and frankly, the number um, that we call on in, in service, uh, we tend to get uh, innovation traction pretty quickly, you know, smaller companies, more nimble. Um, so as new products come out from our principles, you know, we tend to get get them introduced quickly and, and probably as important, get feedback to our supply base as to what we're seeing. The overall service uh, aspect of it, uh, you know, not only is there not reach from a a sales support perspective, but but also on the logistics side, uh, managing not only LTL quantities, but sometimes less than pallet quantities, a couple bags here, a, a pail there, uh, is just something that that a distributor does a little bit better than than, than the manufacturer. Uh, and then, you know, finally, probably a, a working capital. There's a working capital aspect uh, of that, um, primarily based on an inventory, but also on on resources, you know that that we afford them on the on the customer side, it's similar, right? Talked about the technology traction, so you know we're talking about customers in some cases that you know might struggle to 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 know what's the the latest and greatest out there for you know coding or an adhesive, and 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 we afford them that channel to learn. Certainly, supply simplification, a buzzword these days, is tail spend. So there's a you know with many customers, there's this portion of the raw material spend that, you know, they just buy it because it's, they've always bought it and, uh, and being able to step in and help and manage that. So I'd say, you know, probably the primary uh, areas of, of where we're bringing value to both our principal partners and our customers. Got it. Makes sense. And I know that it's interesting because Tailspend is always from a supplier side that's viewed, you know, obviously that that's an area that uh, distribution can help support as customers get into the smaller purchase quantities, et cetera. And it sounds like it from a customer perspective as well. It's interesting. You know, so there's been a lot of changes in distribution over the last decade or so, right? So I know we've seen a lot of consolidation recently. There seems to be more activity in private equity. What do you see? I mean, what's you've been in the distribution game now for almost 15 years, I think you said. So how has it changed in that time? Yeah, I mean, frankly, I mean, you know, having worked for a big chemical manufacturer, also worked for a customer, and 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 now with the distributor, I've kind of I've been around distribution for for my entire career. And you know, when I first started, you know, you had really what was a regional model, particularly for specialty in the United States. You might have eight, ten, twelve different distributors with defined geographies, you know, representing a given manufacturer. And you know, um, really, what what drove you know, consolidation was was consolidation on both sides of us, predominantly on the customer side. You know, as as the distributors piece of the pie got got smaller, as traditional dis- distribution accounts got acquired by direct customers. You know, you, you kind of had to figure out, okay, you know, what do we need to do to back that up? So you started to see regionals extend their reach geographically. You also saw principals, you know, look to try and do more with less. Couldn't manage that number of partners, and and you saw the consolidation. I'd say from a regional play to a super regional play, probably the better part of 10 years ago. And now over the last five years, really a push into in the specialty space to, to more and more of a, of a national play with a number of players, you know, uh, really extending across the U.S. There have been 109 transactions, M&A transactions since 2010 in just what I would call the specialty chemical space. You mentioned private equity, right? That's certainly one model. And, you know, we continue to see more and more private equity in, in our world. I think historically, they they spent more time looking, you know, at manufacturers and even customers. And, and now distribution seem, seems to be becoming sexy. So, but yeah, it's it's really 
you know, so so the so the consolidation has has it's it's evident and it's something that I you know the next five or ten years I, I don't expect it to to slow down. What it has resulted in is you know a, a few things. One, we're starting to see more offshore sources coming to to the U.S. both from Europe and Asia. Two reasons really. One, with a model that didn't exist five or ten years ago. So if you're if you're you know, European chemical company, an Asian chemical company that would like to get into the U.S. market, but you certainly don't want to, you know, set up infrastructure, and make that type of investment. But at the same time, from across the pond or thousands of miles, you don't want to manage multiple partners. Well, there really wasn't an option. Not Now there are options. So you're starting to see, you know, longstanding, you know, reputable, you know, chemical manufacturers that just never had a channel, you know, c- coming to the U.S. Conversely, because of the consolidation, you know, it's like musical chairs. You know, unfortunately, if a supplier was once working with, you know, four or five, six distributors and they consolidate down with one partner, there are, you know, three, four, five <laughs> companies that no longer have, have that chemistry, but they've got tremendous tribal knowledge. So, you know, seeking similar chemistry offshore is, has been something that's picked up, uh, picked up as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, just the offshoring aspect, because I think a lot of times, I certainly think more about the U.S. producing and exporting and trying to move their products to other geographies. But I guess the U.S. is obviously an attractive market still for many companies and wanting to bring product in. So I guess that's a, a, it sounds like distribution has an opportunity to help with that, with that globalization of the markets. Sure does. Yeah. I know one of the other things I talked to a a smaller company a a bit ago and they said, certainly like when Univar and Nexio combined, you know, one of their concerns was our two biggest suppliers are now one. And so trying to create diversity in their supply base is challenging with all these consolidations. So I would imagine from from your perspective, you know, there's both opportunities as well as challenges when that consolidation starts occurring. Yeah, you know, and gr- great point. And again, it's almost with everything we do in distribution, there's a principal aspect of it and a customer aspect of it. So the point you just raised is in fact the case, right? So with the consolidation, yeah, Univar and Nexio, that 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 was a biggie. You know, you know, I, I make it a habit in my role to keep tabs on on competition and keep tabs on the the what ifs. And uh, I didn't see that one coming. So that was uh, that w- that was a big one. But you're right. You know, because of the consolidation, because of the not just Univarnexio, but any number of others that have happened. Yeah, there's fewer choices for customers as it relates to supply, and and they're looking to diversify. You know, for sure. So you know, that validates what what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about like the past year. So this has been 2020, 21 has been crazy, right? So, you know, 2020 was supposed to be an amazing year. Then the pandemic hit and that completely disrupted everything going on, life as we know it. Chemical industry across the board started looking pretty solid coming into 2021. And then certainly the Texas freeze hit. There's been a lot of ups and downs. How have you guys seen the markets over the past year, year and a half? Yeah, funny little thing. I, you know, I remember the day it was March nineteenth, right? So we're eighty days into twenty twenty one. I remember sending an email to a colleague, and I I signed it. <laughs> it's um, you know, something like you know, December one hundredth or so, you know, twenty twenty. It just seems like you know, twenty twenty hasn't come to an end. You know, the pandemic, the pandemic affected our business. Uh, I would say predominantly on the customer side. The good news is for us in our industry, not just Case, but the other businesses uh, here at Palmer Holland. Uh, virtually everybody was, you know, d- declared essential. So 
with with only a few exceptions, our customers stayed open and, and they were making product and buying at obviously at a lesser rate. But when you make a habit as an organization, I mean, we're technical salespeople. I mean, we sell you know, the audience that we we sell to our, our formulators, chemists, you know, the R&D community. And when you send the R&D community home, it's awfully hard to to really get anything new going. So we we had to get through that period. Gradually, our customers managed to get back into their space. But even to this day, a large portion of our, our customers are not allowing you as a salesperson to come see them. Now, they're back in the lab. That's good. You know, obviously, we've, we've become accustomed to this type of meeting. It's still different. And it's still adapting to a way of selling that, you know, we would have never thought we would have had to do. So the, the biggest challenge, you know, I would say we face and then driving customers to to begin to once again, look at new products to begin to innovate again, when, you know, it was a pretty scary time last year. And really, it was just, hey, you know, keep the lights on, make what we make, you know, don't worry about, you know, getting too crazy about introducing anything new. We're starting to see that high turn and, and we're starting to see the innovation pick back up. So that's what I would say about the pandemic. It was probably more customer affecting than it was supply side. Interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting that the innovation kind of stalled, right? So, because I think we saw aspects of innovation needed because supply chains were disrupted, but I guess there's an element of you go back to your known entities, right? So you're not looking necessarily to make change when you're in a really uncertain period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And if R&D is not in the lab, not able to take on the same activities that they were, you can't create new formulations. You can't innovate the same way that you might have otherwise. But you you brought up a good point as it relates to, you know, supply chain or supply shortages that might drive innovation. So fast forward to 2021, some of this started to surface in, in 2020, late 2020, due to, again, really strong rebound in demand, you know, supply chain constraints due to, the, you know, the pandemic in the sense that what what became a priority, right? Uh, getting getting mass ship, getting vaccine ship, getting medical supply ship. So, you know, put, put some constraints on, but, you know, the winter storm URI really, it exponentially made what was already, you know, coming into the year, what we saw what were going to be some some headwinds on supply shortages and supply chain constraints, you know, exponentially multiplied them. So I can say, you know, when I look at, you know, kind of three components in terms of what we're dealing with right now, uh, supply shortages for sure, supply chain constraints widely publicized, right, poor congestions, no place on ships, no truck drivers, so on and so forth, and then price increases. And with each one of those three, I, I don't know that I've ever seen any of them as dire as they've been they're not, we're seeing some optimism now, but if we go back to February, March, I don't know that we, I've ever seen it as bad as it was with any single one of them. They all happened at the same time. So it's been a completely different kind of stress in, in 2021 coming out of the winter storm. Yeah, that's crazy. So how do you navigate that, right? So I think you're in a unique spot in the market, right? And I, and there's always a tension I have found that exists between the principals and distributors and then the customers in the sense that when you're in supply shortage, the dilemma is always, which customer do you serve, right? And and I would imagine that in many cases, your suppliers, the principals have some incentives to want to serve their own direct customers. And yet you obviously fulfill a, a critical role in the supply chain. Your customers need you to support them. You need your suppliers to support you. How have you, has that been a problem? How do you navigate that? What's, what's the key to navigating that? Communication, communication, communication. We've got 
an incredible portfolio of partners on the supplier side. And uh, I would say, you know, short of the most dire of circumstances where, you know, they, they truly, you know, force majeure declaration and you kind of, it's, it's, it's a math, it's a math problem, right? This is how much you're going to get based on historical purchases. We're partnering with some, some companies that are great. And like, listen, you know, we're, we're, we're going to figure this out. It's probably going to be a day by day, week by week thing. You know, on one hand, maybe we can't give you the visibility that you'd like, where maybe if we just made it a straight math problem, it might make it easier, but we're doing that in the spirit of being able to try and get you as much as we possibly can. And then by extension, we, we, we kind of take the same approach internally. So we're, we're not a, you know, slice it, sorry, you know, you didn't buy enough last year, so you don't get any. So we really, it's just a lot of work, <laughs> rolling the sleeves up, communication lines open, you know, trying to keep, you know, what's in the best interest of, of the customers as well as what's in the best interest of our company front of mind uh, insofar as as crazy as it sounds as we try to work through these supply shortages you know you know not necessarily excluding the idea of you know last thing i want to do is say as 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 a leader of a team and a leader of a sales organization saying you know what you know no new customers i mean our supply situation may not allow us to take any new customers on but but making sure that we're staying connected with the customer base understanding their needs um, understanding where the competition's at too um, i think the, the, the silver lining or consolation with what we're dealing with now is everybody's dealing with it. So. Yeah, I guess that's good, right? Everybody's everybody's having challenges, so you're not unique, which is, I guess, good and bad. And I think your point of um, relationships, right? So the chemical industry has been a very relationship-oriented business. And I would imagine, I think, distribution even more so in some ways because of the variety of customers that you have and the multiplicity of relationships that you've got. So so I think that's that's interesting. So I know... You know, one of the big trends across the chemical industry is digitization and even, and I know you, you know, you know, I've chatted briefly, you've mentioned to me about, you know, the rising role of e-commerce. So I think digitization, e-commerce in the chemical industry has been perceived perhaps as threatening to relationships and some of the traditional relationships. How is that playing out for you guys? Great question. An area that, you know, we're, and and uh, I, I'm thinking right now is, as smart as I think I'm going to sound, our CIO is going to absolutely crucify me <laughs> probably with this, this answer. But I feel as, as a distributor, in fact, we've been ahead of the curve, certainly with digitalization and, and, and the study of, of e-commerce. You're right. Uh, e-commerce, you know, is, uh, you know, a little like, whoa, wait a minute. Like that's that's the channel that, that we provide you. Um, you know, what, what, what do you mean? So let, let me take them in steps. So digitalization, you know, is really where where we've made tremendous investment in actuality versus just what what we can learn. So, you know, basically putting digitization. So, you know, the idea of taking data and, you know, analog and, and putting it in digital form, how do you leverage that? How do you bring value to both customers and suppliers alike? And, you know, the pandemic, I mean, it it catalyzed, you know, what, what we were doing for sure. You know, we had any number of projects or initiatives underway, pandemic hit, send everybody home, lockdown, can't see one another, like, uh-oh. Um, so internally, so whether it was accounting, customer service, marketing, you know, we really fast forwarded a lot of what we were doing digitally, again, to both push content out, customers and, and suppliers alike, but also to, to streamline and make more efficient the way that we're doing things uh, internally, whether we're in the office or not in the office. So kind of digitizing some of your core processes, I guess, that just to make them more streamlined. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
you know, there are a lot, there are a lot of tools out there and, you know, I give credit to our, our team, IT slash marketing team. And uh, not only do they evaluate any number of tools, but they're, you know, they're quick to get to the fail. It's going to work great. If it's not, you know, learn from it and, let, and let's move on. And when we see that it's, you know, not again, not bringing value. I mean, to get into digital for the sake of getting into digital, if it's not going to show appreciable value, then what's the point? So um, e-commerce, you know, that's the, that's that's another bag altogether. I would say, yeah, e-commerce is is making progress in distribution, but but slowly. I would say maybe gaining more traction in the commodity space where price, volume, availability, you know, plays a much larger role in the specialty space. I think it's going to be slow to adopt. What we're finding um, is that not that our customers wouldn't appreciate e-commerce, but what they're looking for is more of a portal approach. So perhaps more important than being able to place an order online is getting access to existing orders, getting access to invoices, uh, tracking information, technical documents. So what, what we're working on, and you know, I don't think I'm, you know, go ahead. I, I'm going to go ahead and announce it in a sense. I, we're working on putting something out later this year, maybe within the next couple of months that you know, we call it an omni portal. So it's going to provide what our customers are asking for, you know, what I just listed out, but it will also build in the e-commerce capability when I'm not naive to think if I'll say when, you know, that, that becomes important. You know, there's, there's some challenges with that though, right. In the specialty space with principles. Okay. It stands to reason it's another channel to market. You're likely going to grow sales with an e-commerce platform beyond what you have now. But in terms of the specialty space, I mentioned earlier, the, the value we provide, the ship a bag, the ship a pail, a couple of drums, you still have the logistics piece. You know, the, the, the chemical manufacturing world is not set up with Amazon warehouses, you know, all over the, the country to be able to, to address that. So that's one challenge. And then a lot of these platforms, there's three or four different models. They're open price models. So I think if you're a specialty, chem, specialty chemical manufacturer, and you want to head down the path of e-commerce, you run the risk of, you know, really driving market pricing down to the lowest common denominator. And, you know, if, if you go out and you see the kind of money that principals, manufacturers in the specialty space spend in R&D, I think you start to say, wow, you know, do we want to take all that equity, sweat equity that we built into some really neat stuff and find it, you know, being driven down. So you've got that. That's a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it, it is. Uh, it'll get figured out <laughs> that, that, that much I'm sure of. Right. And I think one of the values of, you know, one of the things I think that people across the industry rely on is the fact that there is actually differentiation, whether it be of product, of service, of information, and that that is one of the things that allows you to drive some pricing differences, allows you to um, have that cost competitiveness. So, you know, your discussion of that, of an open model seems more difficult. And particularly when you're dealing with a lot of chemical products have inherent, some underlying risks, hazards, you need to understand how you're handling it. You need to make sure it's going to an appropriate end user um, that knows how to use the product, et cetera. So there's still a lot of boundary conditions, I would imagine, around an actual sale. On the flip side, having more information about your historical orders and invoices, et cetera. I mean, who doesn't want that? We're used to that on a personal basis, right? Log into whatever account that it might be, whether it's Amazon or Target or a, another store, you can see what you've done in your purchase history and understand that. So yeah, there's a lot of value there. Yeah. There's one component on the customer side, I think it's worth mentioning too. In the specialty space, 
the, the products by and large we're talking they're, they're problem solving products so although there are certainly products that we sell that that cater to e-commerce that could easily be bought yeah, that way you know customers are looking for you know a channel to buy product but also you know a channel to help them solve technical problems and that's probably another area where you know because an e-commerce platform is just a straight transactional hey i can buy this product but there's still a lot of work to be done you know working with the r&d community to choose the right product in the first place i guess this is how what it comes down to right yeah absolutely i mean it's a technical product that needs to be formulated and and supplied right i mean it needs to be used and you need to help them with that so that's that's interesting. Do you find that, you know, when I've talked to some other folks, they say their younger employees in particular are expecting this, right? Or maybe they're, do you see this as a generational thing that'll start driving it? Or is it more just just kind of an, an overall trend because of our all of our human behaviors and what we're used to in our personal lives? No, I, I think I do. Yeah. Listen, I think there's a, that's why I said earlier to me, I, I, I caught myself short of saying if and, and when I, it's definitely going to, it's going to be a part of what I call a multi-channel strategy to market for both manufacturers and distributors. Uh, I mean, there are distributors right now that, that either have their own or are engaged in, in public uh, e-commerce platforms. So it's not, it's not foreign to, to the distribution world. I think you made a great point because we've seen it just purely in the manner in which we sell. Yeah, there is there's a generational aspect of, man, if I can just uh, stay behind the box or, you know, use my phone. Great. I think you can't ignore it. You can't stick your head in. You know, somebody that's been doing this for 25, 26 years, you can't stick your head in the sand and say, ah, no way. That'll never work. No, it's, it's coming. It's like those people that said, ah, the internet, the internet, whatever. I mean, it's the challenge will be Again, figuring out how to fold it in and make it complementary to, you know, direct outside sales, inside sales, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. What about sustainability? Sustainability is obviously one of these trends that has, it's got a lot of legs right now, right? So it's been around for a long time. We're seeing increasing interest, certainly um, because of, you know, the United Nations had made some declarations around sustainability. The Biden administration, we're seeing more activity and at least talk about sustainability and environmentalism. How do you see that playing out for you in distribution? What's the role of sustainability in how you go to market or how you engage across your business? Another great question. So there's there's a couple aspects, I think, of sustainability and in, in distribution. There's the, you know, I think what the conventional piece that people think of. And in distribution, I think it, maybe not so much the the largest global players who who maybe also, in addition to distributing goods, you know, maybe have some of their own manufacturing, toll manufacturing, blending, whatnot, where, you know, they're they've got a little more exposure where they're truly, you know, for us we don't make anything. It's kind of like, hmm, you know, how, what does that mean to, to a company like ours or, or peers of ours? Well, at a minimum, you know, it, it influences who we partner with, right? On the principal side and the customer side, making sure that we're partnering with companies that are forward thinking as it relates to sustainability, number one. Same with our 3PL partners. So we're a company that doesn't own um, any of our own warehouses or trucks, or we, we outsource, we have the supply chain competency, but we outsource the actual logistics piece. Um, but it definitely comes into play, you know, when we're working with interviewing, selecting 3PL partners, how are they handling chemicals? How are they disposing of chemicals? 
you know, so on and so forth. So, but what, what I think you'll see too in distribution, maybe not just in distribution is sustainability is as much sustainability as a member of society or the member of the community as a chemical distributor. So, you know, core values, community engagement, you know, diversity inclusion for sure is, is really become, become a priority. So there's this sustainable when you think of, you know, whether it's, you know, circular, you know, with plastics and, you know, the, I think the more chemistry side of what people think of when they think sustainable, but now there's a non-chemical socio-economical aspect of, of sustainability that I think is is gaining momentum within distribution. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point because those are uh, key elements that people look at when they talk about sustainability. It, it is beyond the item in use. It's it's the relationship to its um, constituents. It's the DNI aspects of it. It's a variety of things. So I think that's all all really good. What do you see playing out over the next five years or so um, in distribution? So I think you alluded to maybe some more consolidation, perhaps. But what else do you see coming ahead? What is it for either Palmer Holland or the industry in general? Yeah, I think a few things. I certainly see you know merger and acquisition activity to continue. You know at, at all levels, strategic, financial. I think private equity you know, will will emerge more so than than even now. I you know seen it, uh, some recent deals done with some notable private equity firms that again, up till now might've played more in the, in the, in the manufacturing space or even the customer space, you know, like, like customers. And now they're, they're entering, entering distribution. You know, we talked about sustainability, digitalization, the supply piece, you know, one thing that I believe to an extent, a result of the pandemic, um, you know, but, but we're seeing it in our world is, Again, probably something more so. A lot of our customers, for instance, over the years, you know, there's been a lot of, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of offshore competition and it's good competition. They're quality products that come in from, you know, primarily Asia that, you know, recently have, have tended to have a lower cost position and, and they've been pretty competitive, you know, tariffs notwithstanding. Well, I think with what's happened both with the pandemic and now what's going on with global supply chain constraints, you know, not probably being quite as dependent, uh, the customer base on on those products, maybe bringing back a portion of the spend to, I'll just say the Western hemisphere where the supply chains are shorter and, and maybe there's a little more confidence in, in getting product from, from point A to point B. So I think you'll see a little bit of a, a drift back in that direction over the next you know five to 10 years. Yeah, that makes sense. If I had to say, you know, moving forward and I think the companies in our space all excel it's at, on the sales side. They all excel on the logistics side. I mean, short of e-commerce and digitalization, I think just an area where uh, companies will price begin to set themselves apart is, a, is more so on the marketing side. So what does that look like to you? Well, it's it really, what I would say is maybe where that responsibility historically has fallen to the manufacturer, commercial insight, thought leadership, market trends, you know, that sort of thing. I'm seeing, we're seeing, you know, principals and customers alike looking more and more to distribution to to provide that type of information, to provide that type of guidance, um, you know, in the marketplace. So, which is fun, a little bit different and, and an area for us to grow. Yeah. And it maybe change, uh, requires you to change maybe some of your organization and staffing, I guess, to, to beef up more of that market intensive focus. Yep, absolutely. 
Interesting. Well, this has been been really good. So, you know, on on a flip side, so let's just talk about in what do you do for fun, Ron? I mean, so, you know, do you have time for fun, especially in this crazy 12 months that we've seen, 12 or 18 months that we've seen? What do you do when you step outside the office? Anybody, if you ask anybody I work with, they tell you I work, but that's not true. I love to fish. I love the boat. So, uh, you know, anything on, in, around water, you can convince me to to partake, which which is a lot of fun. I know right before we got started, you were talking about your dogs. I've got we've got three dogs, so I, I enjoy spending spending time playing with the dogs out in the yard. You know, so and you know, really, I mean, it sounds you know maybe a little boring, but you know, I think not. You know, just spending time with with family and and friends and and neighbors. Uh, you know, I'm not one. Uh, I, you know, I like to travel. You know, often. You know, had the opportunity. I've had the opportunity to do a lot of travel with 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 work over the years. Last year, kind of brought that to a screeching halt. So I'm looking yeah, forward absolutely. to getting back to doing a little more traveling because I I do enjoy that. And then I guess well, finally I've got a I've got a high school junior at home that's you know going to be a senior shortly. So that's that's starting to consume consume outside time. It is. It's exciting. So uh, the whole yeah. looking for colleges and that sort of oh, thing. Oh yeah, I've been uh, I've been going through that with my oldest. So it's a it is quite a process. Yeah. And right now it's really a process. So. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good. Ron, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. And I know that um, people are going to be delighted to hear about your perspectives on the chemical industry and distribution. So thanks for joining today. It was my pleasure. I'm glad to have had the opportunity. And as I mentioned, I've been watching these podcasts. They're great. I I love the exposure that the chemical industry is getting by way of what you're doing. And you know, if I or, you know, any of my colleagues can can ever be of, of help on something like this in the future, just say the word. Absolutely. Love it. And how can people find you or Palmer Holland? Easiest way. Well, a couple of ways. I mean, certainly uh, our website, www.palmerholland.com, not only can get you to Palmer, but can get you to me personally. My contact information's out there. And then I'd like to think we do a pretty good job on the social media front. So, both uh, as a company and personally, we've got LinkedIn profiles, Twitter profiles, Facebook profiles. So pretty easy to find us. All right. That's awesome. Thank you. And thanks for joining The Chemical Chef. Thanks, Victoria. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.